Romans chapter 1, and many people say if they only had one book of the Bible, they could have to keep it. Aren't you glad you know how to pick? Glad you got all the Bible. You know, much of the world doesn't have all the Bible. They'd be, they would have to, they had one book of the Bible. If they could just get a page of the Bible many years ago, and, and still in this day and time, there are people that would just take a page of the Bible, pass it around. Uh, one of the things that people would treasure uh, in this world is something many of us have five or six of them, maybe 10 or 12 of them. That's a Bible. I want to thank you for many of you who, um, who recently, when I went to uh, Egypt, I took Bibles over there. Brother, brother um, Ted is taking Bibles this time. Some, we had some extra ones you guys gave, and so he's going to take them over there to some of those young men and young ladies over there in, uh, in Ghana. And I thank the Lord for that. But I'm glad I don't have to pick which book of the Bible. God gave me the whole Bible, but I tell you what, to whom much is given, boy, I tell you, if we got the whole Bible, we should love the whole Bible, don't you think? We should study it, read it, think about it, meditate on it. But the book of Romans is really a classic. It's 16 chapters of our Bible, and it begins. Uh, uh, it's written to the Roman Christians there in Rome, and all roads lead to Rome. Paul has never yet, and when he wrote this, had not yet gone to Rome. He would eventually go there as a prisoner, but he had not gone there yet. Romans is a, is a rock-solid core book. I was witnessing to someone recently, just this last week, and going through the Romans road. Much of the gospel presentation was through the book of Romans. I don't always stay there. I usually would go to Revelation and maybe go to John and different places, but uh, certainly want to share the, the three things they need to know from the book of Romans, and I enjoy using that. But, of course, it's divided up into several categories. The first three chapters are about sin. Whether you are a rank sinner, like in chapter 1, or a religious sinner in chapter 2, or you are with everybody in chapter 3, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Chapters 4 and 5, 1 through 3 talks about sin, 4 and 5 talk about salvation. How you can have forgiveness of sin is found in chapters 4 and 5. And then chapters 6, 7, and 8 is about sanctification. How can you be clean? How can you overcome sin in chapter 6 and and chapter 7, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? And then, of course, chapter 8 is about the Spirit-filled life and living the Spirit-filled life and knowing that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Chapters 9, 10, 11 are very, uh, speak of the sovereignty of God and His plan for the Israelite people in particular. And uh, it certainly has the plan of salvation for us, but it definitely tells that God has not cast away His people. He has a plan for Israel, and, and uh, he, is, he is going to draw their hearts again, but also teaches us uh, his plan, his sovereign plan for the nation of Israel and his people. Then chapters 12 through 16 is a, is a section about service. It just picks up after chapter 8. I think 9 and 10, 11 are kind of parenthetical. They're in a parenthesis somewhat. But you finish chapter 8, you can almost pick up with chapter 12 really easily. Chapter 8, who can separate us from the love of Christ? In chapter 12, I beseech you, because he loves you and you can't be separated from the love of Christ, I beseech you, therefore, brother, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Let's get serving. And let's, let's serve and let's please him. Let's be separated in our life and separated in our actions and use your spiritual gifts and humility and apply that. And, of course, respect our government leaders in chapter 13. Those of us who are strong ought to support them that are weak in chapters 14 and 15 and uh, learning not to please our own selves. And, of course, chapter 16 is a final greeting in the book of, of Romans as he, as he references several people that all roads lead to Rome. And he referenced some Christians that are there, uh, including, I think, Aquila and Priscilla and Phoebe and some others. 
uh, that he references there. But we're looking at chapter 1, and I want you to look, uh, if you can please, we're going to read verses 1 through verse number 12 at least, and let's follow along if you would please. I'll ask us to read some of them together. Romans 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and separated unto the gospel of God which he hath promised afore by his prophets to the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Would you read verse 5 and 6 with me, everyone? By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among, for his name, among Verse 7 says, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Verse number 10, let's read it together. Making request, if by any means, now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God, for I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that ye may be established. Verse 12 is our text tonight. Let's look at it. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith. Our Father, thank you for the mutual faith that we share together. Thank you for the things that everybody in this room who is a child of God shares in, um, in, with you and uh, their gifts from you and their opportunities that we have to partner together. I pray you'd help us as we continue down this passage and especially in this month of committing to soul winning, getting the gospel out. If we're convinced of how wonderful it is to be saved, we'll certainly want others to be convinced of the same thing. And we'll, we'll share the gospel of Christ with others. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week we spoke about this in Romans chapter 1, the, a mutual faith. He said, look, we had this mutually, uh, something we share together. And uh, the first thing we talked about is that we're mutually, we have, a, we have been called to be separated unto God. Every one of us have strengths and weaknesses, but our strengths, we're separated to do what God wants us to do. And I shared with you recently, uh, with what God has called you to do. And by the way, it's not good to compare ourselves among ourselves, but just a reminder, have faith in how God made you. How, have faith in how God made you. He didn't make you like everybody else. You are very unique. Psalms 139, verse 14, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy work, and that my soul knoweth right well. God made you. Have faith in how God made you. So, well, Pastor, I don't like the way this is about me. And that. Listen, forget what, what you don't like and decide this is how you made me. Help me to be the best me I can be. Have faith in how God made you. Have faith in how God has prepared you. There are things that you have, and they're not even things. You, everything that God gives us is a gift. I think in, in James chapter 1, specifically, the gift he's talking about, every good gift and every perfect gift, I think directly in context probably refers to the Scriptures. But I think generically we can say the same thing about everything I've ever received. It comes the hand of God. Everything, every good gift, every perfect gift, it comes from Him. And you have been gifted. You have been prepared. 
Whether it be the way that uh, you were raised or, or the things you know how to do. And many of us, we can, you, you just have gifts, your strength. And God's prepared you. You didn't, you didn't prepare yourself for that. Remember years ago, and I, I say this just quickly, but I, I, was, I was moved as a child from the time I was born to I graduated from high school to 17 different homes, eight different states. And I used to hate moving. Oh, it would drive me crazy. I would say, Dad, please, if you're not happy, could you just move without us and leave me here? <laughs> He'd say, get in the car, John, we're moving, you know. And we'd go, you know, I was like, oh, learning all these people's names again. You know, and moving to this new school every year and a half, every two years, and meeting new people, a new neighborhood, and have to get, put myself out there. You know what I've been doing ever since I, that happened? I've been putting myself out there <laughs> and learning people's names. <laughs> you know, part of that, I used to hate moving. But you know, there are some things that I learned along the way that God prepared he prepared me to do. Whether it be your job in high school or something you have, it's going to be used of you one day to win someone to Christ. You've got something in common. Where you lived or what you did or what job you did or what your, what your strengths are or where you were born, all that stuff is used of God. He's, he's, have faith in how he made you, how he's prepared you, and how he has led you. And I tell you, uh, trusting God with those things but he tells us, first of all, we have a mutual faith in that we have been separated to the gospel of Christ. We have a mutual faith in the mutual things that we have revolves around the scriptures. Verse number two, he speaks about the holy scriptures. Aren't you glad you got a Bible? And the Bible tells us how God thinks, the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. His doctrines are holy, his precepts are binding, his histories are true, and his decisions are immutable. You read it to be wise. You believe it to be safe. You practice it so you can be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, comfort to cheer you. It's the traveler's map. You don't want to take a trip without a map. You don't want to go through life without a, a word from God. It's the traveler's map. It's the pilgrim's staff. It's the soldier's sword. It's the Christian's charter. It's given to you in life. will be open again at the judgment. And, and it's something you're going, to be, you're going to be judged out of the things written in this book. So he said, I, we have a mutual faith that revolves around being separated unto God. A mutual faith that revolves around the Holy Scriptures. And we have a mutual faith in the person of the Son of God. Look at verse number 3, would you please? We'll reread it again. Concerning his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which uh, was made or declared as the seed of David... Um, according to the flesh. Now look at verse number four. And declared, speaking of the Jesus, to be the Son of God with power. The Bible tells us, I think, is another thing that we share, and that is strength. When we witness for people, the Bible says, all power is given unto who? Jesus, right? And the power that he has, if you have Jesus and he has you, you have that power. God has given us power. We don't have to live an addiction. We don't have to live. Now, I'm not saying you don't struggle with that, but you don't have to stay there. God can give you victory. You got bitterness? You don't have to be bitter. You can forgive. So, well, I just, if what happened to you happened, happened to me, happened to you, then you would have a hard time. I'm not saying I wouldn't have a hard time. I'm just saying we don't have any excuses. Everything I need to do what God wants me to do, he's given me his divine power. We can see that in 2 Peter chapter 1. Everything you need to do what God wants you to do, 
I looked in the eyes of a precious lady recently and said to her, Philippians 4, 13 is not just a verse we say when we want to win a basketball game or a soccer game or a volleyball game. I can do all things through Christ. That's what you can have every day of your life. God can help you do anything he wants you to do. Anything God wants you to do, you can do it. You don't have to say, I can't do it. No, because the same power that raised up Jesus from the dead lives inside of me. And that power was revealed in two ways. Number one, through his Holy Spirit, through the spirit of holiness. Number two, through his resurrection. If we take just a moment, we can look at this real quickly. And, and let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, just for a second. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You might wonder, why do I have problems? What are my problems for? And uh, our problems, we're troubled on every side. We're not distressed. Verse number 8 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But I want you to notice what the Bible tells us here. Verse number 14. He said, now I believe, therefore have I spoken. But verse 14 says this. Read it with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. You ready? How many are ready? You got it? Okay, here we go. It starts with the first word, knowing. Everyone read it together. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus... Isn't that wonderful? So what can we have faith in God? We have faith in his, in his presence and his power. We share that thing. We don't have to be uh, inept. We don't have to be weak. We have the power of Christ. Now, when we're weak, he is strong. So the first thing I see that we, that we share mutual faith, uh, that we see in this passage of Scripture, is the first thing is, is that we share the fact that we've been separated into the gospel. God wants to use you to get the gospel of someone Brother Keith Piper, he spoke here one time, and he said something. He said it here. I was sitting back there. I wrote it down in my Bible. And, um, and it said this, you ought to pray that God would use your life to make a global impact with the gospel. Say, Pastor, I'm a teenage girl. Pray that. I'm a senior saint. Pray that. Say, God, use my life to make a global impact with the gospel. I do believe that's a good prayer for all of us to pray. Whether you drive nails every day or you fix tires or you work in a computer or you flip a house or you're, you're working with rental properties or you're doing a driving a truck, all of us ought to say, God, what can I do today that might make an internal impact with the gospel? Help me to get, it, get the gospel to someplace in the world. I believe it's important. We're separated into the gospel he tells us, number one, we share mutual faith because we're separated from the gospel. Number two, we share mutual faith around the scriptures. We, fair, we, fair, we share a mutual faith around the person of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, God's Son. And then we also share his power because of the Holy Spirit of holiness, the spirit of holiness and the resurrection of the dead. God said, if I can raise up Jesus from the dead, I can help you with anything you got going. You have that power. Look at the next thing if we can, please. We're looking at verse number five. The Bible says, by whom we have received grace and apostleship. It, said it, was, it was through the power of Jesus that we received grace. And I don't know exactly what your definition of grace is. Some people would say God's, uh, put the acrostic, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's a great one. Other people will say grace is unmerited favor. And certainly we want the favor of God and we don't deserve the favor of God. I remember hearing a guy named Dan Reed one time say this, and then I heard Brother Rick Martin say the same thing on the next morning that he preached. 
And he says, in my opinion, grace can be simply defined as God's supernatural help. It's just God helping me. You know, how do we say, for by grace? What is grace? God's help. Did you save yourself? No. We're all saved because of God's supernatural help. But grace doesn't just save us. It sets up a classroom in our heart. Now, some folks down days, they just want to be saved by grace, and then they want to live like an idiot and say they're living in grace. Oh, I just got grace. I just love grace. Just grace, grace, grace. But grace doesn't just save us. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says that the grace of God, which appeared to all men, teaches us to deny ungodliness and to live soberly and righteously in this present world. You know why you live by, by a holy life? It's why you get your head out of, out of this world system and sewage and live distinctively different. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We ought to be distinctively different. You know why? Because of grace. <laughs> because of God's help. He said, now, the God who has the power to raise Jesus from the dead is resurrection, and he has the spirit of wholeness in him. I have that too. And because of I, ha- I have that, he says, now listen, because you have this particular, uh, you have Jesus, now you have grace. And apostleship. Of course, Paul is an apostle born out of due time. I don't think in, in a real way, the Bible tells us in Galatia, excuse me, Ephesians, in chapter 2, verse 20, that the church is founded on the foundation, first of all, Jesus, he's the cornerstone. He's the, he's the, he's the, the foundation. And then on top of that was the apostles. And then prophets, before there was a Bible. Uh, God gave people prophetic gifts to teach us what the Bible says. But then it comes after that, evangelists and pastors and teachers. That's how he's built, he's built the church. Today, I don't think anybody is actually an apostle in the biblical sense. Now, practically, apostle means a sent one. Someone who has been sent. Jesus tells them he gathered the disciples together and he ordained them that they would be with him, that he would send them forth to preach. And I think the apostles are the sent one. Today, you know, every once in a while I'll meet someone and say they're an apostle, 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 somebody, whatever. And I don't, not, I'm not really quick to correct them and I don't think we should do that either. They're probably just a little confused. And anytime a false doctrine, you have two factors to remind yourself. Someone's a victim and someone else is a villain. And sometimes the villains don't know, the villains know what's going on. The victims are just parodying what, they, what they've heard. And sometimes they're just simple and they need someone to love them and not to you know, whack them, but to, to love them and walk them through that and take some things, understanding that they don't know what, maybe exactly what's going on. But he said, now, because I have Jesus, I have also have his grace, his supernatural help, and his apostleship. And, of course, Paul is speaking specifically. It was one of the things he got questioned a lot about. You know, oh, you're not an apostle. You're an apostle. You see him when he reads the, when he defends and writes in the book of 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, there is some loudmouth bully and critic that kept on telling people, he's not even an apostle. And uh, they would, it was something he had to continually, uh, in the book of Galatians, he also has to deal with that. In other books, he has to tell them, look, I know what you heard. I am an apostle. <laughs> I have I have been with Jesus. I have shared time. By the way, it was one of the things they had to do when we think he was with Jesus, especially in, uh, in Arabia for two years, being instructed uh, through the Holy Spirit and through the Lord Jesus Christ as well. But he said, I've, I've received grace, I've received apostleship, but I want you to notice the next thing, verse number five. He says, for obedience to faith among all nations for his name. 
The next thing I think we share mutually is to be obedient to the faith. Submission. Obedience, submission. And of course, it takes submission to get saved. Uh, The Bible tells us that God is not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance, a change of mind about your sin, about God's Son. It's it's changing. It's it's that, you know, I'm wrong. It's submitting to that. I remember witnessing to numbers of people. If you witness, you'll witness to people who say, you know, I'm just not sure I believe that. I've had people tell me about the lake of fire and say, I'm not sure I believe there's a hell. Okay, I can't make you believe it. But if they're ever going to get saved, they'll have to submit to that. They'll have to change their mind about that to repent about how they feel about hell. Because it's just as real as the pages of the Bible. Just real as, it's as real as the nose in your face. It's what God says. There is a lake of fire. It's everlasting. It's not temporary. And I say, well, I just don't think a love, my loving God would, and I've heard this many times, my loving God wouldn't send anyone to hell. And you can make up a God of your own imaginations. The truth of the matter is, we got to see, we, we know God from his word. He's revealed himself in the scriptures. But we share in faith submission, obedience to the faith. And I, I, I think you have, to be, you, have to get, you have to be obedient to the faith to get saved. But I think also, um, one of the most beautiful attributes of a godly Christian is surrender and submission. D.L. Moody would oftentimes say, you find a man that God uses, you'll find he's a humble man. He's a man that's humble. Number two, he's a surrendered man. Number three, he's a man of prayer. Number four, he's a man that's a student of God's word. Number five, he's a man that is free from the love of money. Number six, he's a man who has a heart that's broken for souls. I imagine that would probably work for men and women. Anybody that God uses, they'll have to start off with humility. Life can't be about me, it has to be about God. Listen, when you have something bad happen to you, you need to look through the lenses of how God might see that. If you make your problems about you, it's the quickest way you can waste the benefit of your problem. Well, it's just hard to be me, and I just, I'm, I'm so sick of it. I just don't think I can take it. I'm so lonely. I'm so this. I'm this right here. Listen, quit doing that. You're wasting the gift of God's grace in your problem, thinking about you. Quickest way you can waste a problem is make your problem about yourself. But one of the things we share mutually is we share an opportunity to submit to God. The Bible says, submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will. Draw nigh to God, he will. You ask. One of the things in James chapter 4 that God reminds us is learning to submit. He tells us, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elders. And those of us who are younger in the ministry, you have older folks in, in the work of the Lord, submit to them. You don't have to argue with them. You don't have to debate with them. You don't have to purloin or steal time or anything from them. You don't need to answer again. You need to learn to submit. It's one of the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful attributes and disciplines, and it's a, it's a shared mutual faith that we have. Let me do one more, and we'll conclude tonight. If we can, please, let's look at the next statement. Verse number 6. Among whom ye are also called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God. By the way, aren't you glad? He said, everybody there that's, that's, sa- that's saved, and he's writing to, they're beloved of God. I don't think anybody will serve God to the effectiveness you ought to serve God until you're totally convinced that God loves you. Right. Never forget, going to the hospital here at, at Munster Community one day, and there was a man who was not living for the Lord Jesus Christ. He was living in immorality. He had, he had 
grown up in this church, and he just wasn't faithful. He wasn't doing right by God, by his church, by his family. Nothing. I mean, just a total train wreck. I remember looking him in the eye at the, at the hospital room. I called his name. I said, do you believe God loves you? He lifted his head and looked at me and said, maybe a little bit, but not like he loves everybody else. He said, he might love me a little bit, not like everybody else. And I told him, I said, do you figure out that, that the God of the Bible says he loves you with an everlasting love? Till you're convinced that he loves you, you're going to still live a very low, wicked life. Because the higher opinion you have of God, the greater that you understand who he is and who he really is, the more you'll do for him. The higher life you'll live. You've got a low opinion of God, you're going to live awful low. You've got a high opinion of God, you're going to live much more surrendered when you realize how much he loves you. He says to the people of Rome, number one, you're beloved. It's one of the things that helps you sleep at night. I love this passage of Scripture, Psalm 129. You know it. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It's vain for you to rise up early and sit up late and eat the bread of sorrow. Just chew on all of your problems. I've done it, you've done it. We've just been up at night, can't sleep, and we're all thinking about our problems, the changes in our life, what's going on, how, what's going to happen to the kids, what's going to happen here, what's happened to America. We just, we, just, uh, we just worry about it. He said, it's, it's empty. Don't stay up at late at night worrying about everything, and don't get up early, wake up worrying about stuff. He said, because God giveth his what sleep? Who? Beloved. You know, when you know God loves you, you can sleep a lot better. You can trust him with what's going on. You could say, listen, since, uh, since you stay up all night, God doesn't slumber or sleep. There's no sense in both of us staying up all night. I'll let God stay up all night, and I'm going to go to sleep. How about you? Trust him and say, God. And if, if you have a problem with that, just come to church. Hundreds of people successfully are falling asleep right now. It's unbelievable. Yeah, decide, you know what, I am not. I'm not going to let this thing called worry and anxiousness overwhelm me. So it's called care. In Philippians chapter 4, the Bible says, be careful, careful of care about how many things? Nothing. But everything by prayer, supplication, with, let, this, let your question may enjoy, then, and God's peace will, will help you with that. He reminds us of that. He said, look, first thing we got to know is that he loves you. He says to the people of Rome, I, you're beloved of God. Number two, you're called to be what? Verse seven, called to be? Aren't you glad for that? What does saints mean? Anybody have an idea what it means? It means saved. Well, certainly, if you're saved, you are a saint. It means a holy one. Someone's holy. And I like to think about this. What does your Bible say on your Bible right there? What does your Bible say? Holy Bible. Why does it say Holy Bible? Because it belongs to God. This is God's book. What's the Spirit of God? He could have called him the love spirit, the joy spirit. What's he called his spirit? Why? Because it belongs to him. Yes. He says the tithe is holy and the Lord in Leviticus reminds us in chapter 27. One of the reasons I want to make sure I honestly give to the Lord. If he gives me a, a dime, I want to give him a penny at least. 
And I give him a little more than that. If he gives me a, if he gives me a, a dollar, I want to give him a dime. Why? Because he says it's holy unto him. That's, that, that's why he says if you, if, you, if you spend that, you're robbing God because it didn't belong to you. It's recognition that God gave you everything. So he says the tithe is holy. The Bible's holy. It belongs to God. The Spirit of God's holy. But when you get saved, you become holy. You are a saint. You, you don't have to go through the, the Catholic uh, rigmarole role to do that. The moment you get saved, you become God's holy possession. And how long are you God's after you get saved? Isn't that a wonderful thing? Yeah, it's wonderful. Let's look at, the, let's look at verse 7 and complete it. Grace to you. This is just a general greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, and your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. It's pretty amazing here is that he compliments them that they are a global, they have global impact. I only get to pastor one church, but one thing I really want us to share in that we are a global church. That, that our faith can be heard about the whole world. We're just one little church, and our church is maybe a little bit bigger than some church, but quite frankly, it's very small compared to the rest of the world. The 7.8 billion people that, that breathe on our planet, this, what our gathering tonight or on Sunday morning or on our big day is really quite small. But we can have a global impact. And one of the things I love about Apostle Paul commended this, they mutually could share the gospel with the whole world. And we have a greater opportunity to do that now than, than ever, to do our best to get the gospel. And I love meeting people around the world that this church has impacted. Brother Eddie and I had the chance to be in a meeting just uh, yesterday and today. And we met people that they, they came through here, and this is where their life was changed. Or people that we've touched somewhere else in the world because of giving and prayer and even sending out folks from from the college and the institute and different places. He says, I'm so glad that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. These are some things we can share in mutual faith, and I'm glad I can share them with you. And the best way is, Pastor, that's great. That makes you feel good. Let me ask you something. Where are you in the scriptures? Do you love the Bible? You read the Bible? You're thinking about the Bible? How about separating into the gospel? If you've been separated from the gospel, have you been talking to someone about the Lord? Have you been giving out a gospel track? Have you been engaging in conversation with other people? That'd be a good idea to do. Are you submissive? Are you naturally rebellious? Every one of us are. How are you doing? Are you submitting to simple things? You think everybody's against you because they tell you, don't do this, do this, do that. I don't want people telling me what to do. Listen, submission is a biblical principle. Are you sharing the gospel with the ends of the earth? These are things that our church must be a combination of everybody doing their job. And I think it's a wonderful thing we can share mutually.